0: recording. Hey, hey, hey! welcome back to another episode of the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchuk alongside Steven Trinkwald as always. And Steven, today we're going to delve into the off-season content because there's a lot of off-season, but there's also a lot of content. We are going to start with some awards. Awards have obviously come and gone. Award season, very fun to discuss when it happens, um, but we're just kind of going to be looking back on things and saying what we agree with, what we disagree with, maybe go on a couple of rants about the legitimacy of some of these awards. Uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into it. An interesting dynamic we have, just a little peek for the listeners. You are looking at my choices and I haven't seen yours yet. So I might have some interesting reactions to, to what you have going on, considering I haven't seen your uh, votes yet. So All right, uh, well,
0: we, will, we shall see. I'm, I'm looking at your votes, but I'm, that's, we're cheating. Okay, uh, so starting off with the uh, the big one, most valuable player. Uh, that went to Las Vegas Aces forward Asia Wilson in the regular season. Uh, she received, according to, to WBA.com, so that's super legitimate, obviously. Uh, she received 43 of a possible 47 first-place votes. Uh, Brianna Stewart came in second with three first-place votes. The only other player to receive a first-place vote was Courtney Vandersloot, but the order was Wilson, Stewart, Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, and Nafisa Collier for the top five. Steven do you agree with Asia Wilson winning MVP?
1: Asia Wilson is definitely a deserving MVP this season. She she had a great season. The Aces far exceeded at least my own personal expectation. I thought the most valuable player in the WNBA this season was Brianna Stewart. What do you think?
0: I agree. Um, you have a ton of notes here on why that is.
1: You agree uh, with me.
0: I, I do agree with you. Yeah, it's it was really tough. Um, I, I might've gotten like kind of caught up in the moment as far as you know, the whole narrative of the best player being on the best team. But the reality is it was pretty much a tie, you know, and and, although the um, I will say that the head to head matchup, uh, I I gave Wilson a significant boost as far as the narrative is is concerned. And this is a regular season award. So it's not like, you know, we're we're, we're like considering the uh, Seattle's dominance in the finals over the aces. Right. But uh, it was close, but I think Brianna Stewart was just a better player.
1: I think so too. Like she, to me was the best player in the world. Like she had, and she had an MVP season. It wasn't like she was really down this season. And then there was like this kind of conversation where Asia Wilson, like had this grand statistical case over Brianna Stewart. And I I don't really think that was the case. And the other part of that, that was kind of floated around was that Stewart wasn't really playing enough minutes to get the award as you know, the storm were, were kind of playing in so many blowouts, And I don't really think that was the case either. Like, Yes, Stewart missed a couple games towards the end of the season when Seattle really had nothing to play for, but, like, Wilson played less than a minute and a half more per game than Brianna Stewart, and this is, like, the huge gap in value that of, of Wilson being on the court so much more than, than Stewart. Like, I, I didn't really see it that way, and from a statistical standpoint, like, they were, even if not, like, Stewart having the edge. Like, from a, a per 36 minutes standpoint, like, Stewart scored more. She was considerably more efficient Obviously, you know, a much better player in terms of like passing the ball and making plays for others. It's not really too competitive there. These are probably like, what would you say, two of the five best defenders in the league, if not better than that. And sure, Wilson's assist numbers, you know, they're not unprecedentedly low for an MVP, but it's really, really low. This would be, or not this would be because she did win the award. This is like the seventh lowest assist percentage of an MVP campaign ahead of... Uh, Sylvia Falls, Elena Deladon in 2015 with the Chicago Sky, Tina Charles, those were the the three in this decade. And then the latter two, Lauren Jackson MVP seasons and Yolanda Griffin all the way back in, in 99. So, I mean, like their rebounding numbers are, are pretty near identical with a, a slight statistical edge towards Brianna Stewart. So, you know, I just, I think Stewart was better. Like she was the best player in the league. And I think, like I said before, Wilson, she had a great MVP caliber season, but I think the the imbalance in that voting that you kind of pointed to was very much, in my opinion, kind of a, a narrative type, you know, this was a team that we didn't really expect too much out of like missing Liz Cambage, missing Kelsey Plum was right. not expecting this type of contribution from, from Angel McCautry. So really, really tough choice, to be honest with you. I definitely had Asia Wilson as my pick at one point and kind of went back to Brianna Stewart and, and back to Wilson and back to Stewart. This was extremely tough and two deserving players.
0: You know, I, I, first of all, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. As far as the narrative is concerned, let me bounce something off of you for a second. As far as I understand it, you know, maybe people will disagree with this or say no, you're you're misinterpreting it. But I think that like Asia, she was the best player on what was the team that finished. I don't want to say the best team because I mean we saw what happened in the finals. But regular season awards, she's the best player on the team that finished. With the best record, so with obviously the number one seed
1: seat, because Seattle had the same record, they, they yeah, had the, the, number the
0: number one, one seed, right? Right, right, And like in a bubble, you know, it's not even like home court advantage or anything like that. Um, but I think the aces supporting cast is kind of being undersold here. Angel McCarty had a terrific season, granted, not a very high minute season, but that was obviously you known to keep her fresh, and she was great in that role. And Dierka Hamby, as we will <laughs> discuss later, was very, very, very good coming off the bench. And it's like, if you look at the Aces' main strengths this season, it was what? Defensive rebounding and free throw attempt disparity. Asia Wilson is a very good rebounder and a very good defensive player, which we will, again, discuss coming up for later awards. But those two strengths are not something that's like she's carrying the team in both of those aspects, right? Like, that's a whole, those are team, like, they're, they're, they're team strengths, right? So, and the other thing I wanna say is, I don't know how much you trust this statistic. Stewart had a PIPM. That's a player impact plus minus, I believe per the site wins added 6.60. That was by far the highest PIPM in the league of any player. The next highest was fouls at 3.60. Wilson was fourth at 3.38. So like Wilson had an amazing season again, don't get us wrong. I just think Stewart was the better player and I think value in this conversation is always sold as who means more to their team. Or if you take the player off of the team, how bad the team is going to be, it always seems to go back to that. Right. But how, how is best player just period, just flat out best player not considered most value. I don't understand that.
1: Cool. So I, I don't really have too much more to add in terms of the, the MVP discussion asia wilson is great i definitely 100 percent agree with you in terms of the supporting cast being a little bit undersold kind of in the discussion just sort of about the aces success but yeah i mean wilson was great and stewart was a little bit better and i think in my opinion is a little bit better of a player so should we move on to oh do you have a, a full five player ballot or uh because i can just run through mine quickly
0: I do. Um, I had Wilson coming in second, Candace Parker third, Nafisa Collier fourth, Courtney Vandersloot fifth. Uh, as a Sky fan, as much as I wanted to put Sloot like second, uh, the team record just like wasn't there.
1: I have the same ballot in the same order. I actually really, really had a tough time with Collier and Parker. I think Nafisa Collier was, was really, really incredible on a less talented team than, than what LA had. But ultimately, you know, I think Candace Parker. Uh, maybe has a coaching disadvantage and, and a little bit less to work with there. And, you know, there's no reason to think that sure Reeves wouldn't have gotten a great team with literally any five people on the planet. Right. It kind of
0: looked that way. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but Collier was great for sure. Um, so who did you have? Oh, well, before you announce who you had for defensive player of the year, we can talk about uh, what actually happened.
0: Okay, so this one caused a little bit of controversy, or maybe it was the defensive, all defensive teams, or maybe it was both of them. Kenneth Barker won Defensive Player of the Year in 2020, uh, leading with 16 votes. Alicia Clark came in second with 11. Alyssa Thomas of the Sun came in third with 10 votes. Uh, who did you have? I
1: had Asia Wilson. Oh, I did think she was, there was something that you were saying before in terms of her not really being the kind of impact like it, more of a team structure just in terms of like limiting fouling on the defensive end like limiting shots around the rim i think her her impact defensively around the rim was enormous this year just in terms of the frequency of shots around the rim wilson and the aces were extremely low in terms of the field goal percentage around the rim you know with wilson on the court they only allowed like a, a less than 69% shooting around the rim and it was about 80% with her off the court so that specifically like really fell off the charts you know they were a really really great defense with in my opinion less defensive talent than seattle had who was the number one defense and vegas right. was number two you know she she really never ever falls they allowed as you mentioned the the lowest free throw attempt rate and her her box score stats were great like she 5.3% block rate second in the league to turner she really high steal rate for for a player, uh, for like a, a center. She has really great hands, almost 2% steals, steal rate. And I just, I thought she was the best defensive player in the league this year.
0: I mean, I can't argue with that. I had her second on my ballot as, 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 as I did for MVP. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. It might, be, it might have been a stupid argument for me to say like free throw rate and defensive rebounding are team stats because when you're playing center, those are the, that's the most important defensive position. So Asia Wilson definitely pulled her weight and then some on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I had Alyssa Thomas maybe, maybe overrating her a little bit, but I just think, you know, the Sun were stout defensively. Like they weren't elite, but they were stout. And while you could argue that, you know, the Sun have a lot of great defenders on their team, Alyssa Thomas is what drives that defense. You, you saw it this year in comparison when you had Brianna Jones on the floor compared to last year with John Cole Jones. Like it's Alyssa Thomas who makes them go. Duana Bonner, very switchy. Jasmine Thomas, as good as it gets at the point of attack. But to me, Alyssa Thomas, uh, just her ability to not only guard basically every position and finish them off and like, finish the possessions off with rebounds, but also to turn defense into offense, which was so critical for the Sun this year and basically every year because like their half-court offense kind of stinks.
1: Is that a fair argument? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, for a player of her size playing the four in Connecticut to not routinely get dominated on the glass, they're they're like a very good rebounding team and she's a very good rebounding player. Uh, Very, very impressive. Uh, I had Alyssa Thomas third and was really torn between who I was going to go with at number one. I went with Asia Wilson, but obviously, you know, the one, I think she was the only unanimous pick for the all defensive team, Alicia Clark. I had a hard, like, I think she's, she would be a well-deserving defensive player of the year candidate. And mm-hmm. just in terms of like versatility, there aren't a ton of players who can just shut down whatever your wing option is, whether it's one through three, you can just throw your your best defensive player on them and, and really just kind of erase them. But to be honest, I, I I just think your, your wing candidate has to be so much far and away better than the best big candidate because you know the bigs are just so much more impactful defensively in my opinion so that was kind of the difference maker for me I assume you had Clark pretty close to the top for you um no
0: I actually had her fifth and it was basically just because of that logic my my order was uh Alyssa Thomas, Asia Wilson, Nafisa Collier, Candice Barker, and then Alicia Clark I mean I just think that just to take what you were saying a step further Bigs just provide more defensive defensive value than wings. That's just the way it goes. And also, the Storm defense was just so incredibly stacked. Like Brianna Stewart is an elite defensive player, Natasha Howard is an elite defensive player, Jewel Lloyd is pretty darn good as Had a defender. Had the best defensive season
1: in her career, probably.
0: Yeah. Right. So, like, uh, you, and you can, and we saw this in the voting too. Uh, Clark got eleven votes, but Stewart and Howard also received votes for her t- for their team, the Storm. So. And uh, when you're playing within such an aggressive scheme, like I get that duh, the narrative is like Alicia Clark, she shuts down the team's best player on the wing, but why were the Storms such a great defensive team? It's not just because of individual defense on the wing. It's because they are aggressive as heck. They create so many, so many defensive plays on, with blocks and steals, and they're just, they shut down the paint. It, was, it wasn't It was just like a, an Alicia Clark effort, you know? I feel like if you take Alicia Clark off the storm, they're still going to be in a wee defense. Whereas if you take Alyssa Thomas off the sun or Asia Wilson off the aces, they're going to have significantly more struggles.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a fair point of view for that. My five, just to, to get it out there, was uh, Wilson one, Alicia Clark two. I had Alyssa Thomas third, Candice Parker fourth. And the one player who we kind of differ on, I had Natasha Howard fifth.
0: Okay. I think I think that Tasha Howard would have been in the discussion if like her minutes weren't so low compared to sure what we're used to seeing. Should we move on to Rookie of the Year? Let's do it. Okay, so Rookie of the Year, this one was not particularly close. Uh, Links point guard Crystal Dangerfield got forty-four of the forty-six votes, forty-seven votes. Kennedy Carter for the Dream got two votes, and Satu Saboli for the Wings got one vote. You have a you have an argument for kennedy carter i believe although you went for dangerfield
1: i i picked dangerfield but i did i'll be honest like i did want to pick kennedy carter for this award like i think this award feels better when it's going to the star or future superstar of the class and like i think kennedy carter is going to be that player for this class like no disrespect to crystal dangerfield at all she had a a great season deserved this award and dangerfield was just better though like she this was not a situation where the star players just didn't really produce enough and you kind of have to go with one of the more tertiary options like crystal dangerfield put up the the impact that is needed for this award like she had more impact towards winning basketball she led a top 4 seed in scoring as an an undersized rookie point guard and it really felt like particularly before odyssey sims came back even though you know i think dangerfield did get better as the season went on but it felt like she was really what was keeping this team afloat just in terms of having someone who could run the offense. But I think Kennedy Carter has like a statistical case to win this award. Like 25 points per 36 minutes on on pretty decent efficiency, although not as good efficiency as Crystal Dangerfield. Like her 26% assist percentage, 14% turnover percentage, pretty solid raw assist to turnover numbers as well. But again, not as good as Dangerfield, you know, Kennedy Carter, I think, is going to be a future star in this league, and I love everything that she brings to the table, but this was Dangerfield's award.
0: I agree. Uh, I think the two major things working against Carter for this award were minutes. She played significantly fewer minutes because, I mean, she missed all those games, which was unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. Uh, And then also, as you said, contributing to winning basketball. It's kind of weird. It kind of reminds me of last season when you had uh, Collier versus Ogunbowale for the rookie of the year race. Before then, we hadn't really seen too many instances of a rookie being on a really good team and then a rookie being on a not so good team and being like, well, this rookie, you know, she's putting up the raw scoring numbers or whatever. She's she's making the impact plays or the, should I say, like the the highlight plays. But this other player is, you know, contributing to winning basketball, as you said. Uh, ultimately that went to Nafisa Collier, of course. And the same thing kind of happened here, I think, with Dangerfield. You said it, she stabilized that offense when they were searching for a player who could just run the team, make plays, run offense, take care of the basketball. Cause if you recall, we had big questions about that heading into the season, big questions. And the Lynx were struggling before Dangerfield kind of really seized that opportunity. I mean, she wasn't, it it wasn't like a, I mean, Sims was out, but they were rolling with Shanice Johnson at point guard. they were trying Lexi Brown for a little bit. Dangerfield really took that spot and she didn't let it go. So after Sylvia Fowles got hurt, um, you know, the Lynx really did a lot of things, which I think we're going to discuss later to, Keep themselves in contention, and Dangerfield was a huge part of that.
1: I guess the the only thing that was kind of holding me back, like it feels like maybe in like three years, and five years, and eight years, when Kennedy Carter is like an all, a perennial all league player, and Crystal Dangerfield is, you know, maybe a uh, an above average starting point guard, like this pick could look silly just in hindsight with kind of where their careers go. But you know, uh-huh. maybe Dangerfield becomes an all league point guard as well, and and maybe Carter never gets there.
0: I mean, it's not a it's not an award for four years in the future, it's a 2020 award. So Dangerfield earned it, man.
1: Should we move on to sixth woman of the year?
0: Uh, I think you mean best player coming off the bench.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is lame. Someone else should get the award. Derricka Hamby, she is deserving by the very definition of the award, but she's not a sixth woman. Like she was second on this team in minutes played and in minutes per game. She played more than one and a half times as many minutes as... Carolyn Swords, the phenomenal <laughs> starter. She closed every single one of their games. Like, this isn't the best bench player in the league. It's the best player in the league who the coach wanted to get this award. Do you think that's what happened? I mean, yeah. The, there's no like X's and O's strategy for playing <laughs> Carolyn <laughs> for Swords. For being a worse like, player.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. You know, strangely enough, this was not a unanimous award. Andy got 44 votes. Raquanda Williams got two. I don't really understand that. Bria Hartley got one. And like, I guess she was having a really good season before she got injured, very unfortunately, but Hamby was a better player. She is a very, very good player who just happens to be coming off the bench for whatever reason. It it reminds me of a few years ago when John Cole Jones won this award for the Sun. Just because Shanae Gumake came back and and Miller decided to bring John Cole off the bench for like 55% of their games and she won the award. It's like, well, is this truly a sixth woman? No. Interesting
1: that Bria Hartley got an award considering she played 13 games this season.
0: Hey, i don't vote i just I, <laughs> I just look at the votes sure uh, who else did you have who else did you have for this uh,
1: I had Sammy Whitcomb two Raquana Williams three Jackie Young four Rachel Bannum five
0: I had no two through five because it was no contest
1: okay, fair enough yeah <laughs> um, most improved player
0: all right this was uh. This was the closest of any of the major awards, I believe. I honestly didn't have that tough a time with it, but we can discuss that. Uh, Benaj Laney, the Atlanta Dream, took 25 votes. Myesha Hines-Allen for the Washington Mystics took 21 votes. Angel McCaw got one vote, uh, which is interesting. Uh, But yeah, Laney and Hines-Allen, both great seasons, both both very ideal picks for a most improved player. And it really exemplifies why I hate this award, but you can go ahead first.
1: Well... I, I I just want to talk about like the fundamental kind of guiding principle for how I would come up with Laney as the winner of this award. And that's because, but we've, we've discussed this before. Yeah, we have discussed yeah. it before, but like she is a completely different player this season than we'd ever seen her play before. And we've seen plenty of Laney in the WNBA. Like she came with an offensive package that she had not shown over the course of her career with what, three other teams before this, three other teams, I think. Yeah. She played for Chicago, Connecticut, and Indiana before landing in Atlanta. And, you know, Maisha Hines-Allen is definitely the most with more opportunity award winner. Like, that, she was awesome. I, I don't think she deserved the all-league nomination that she got, but we'll, we'll get to that later. And, you know, this isn't a slight from for her because she, she was really, really good. But but Nigel, but Nigel Laney played significant minutes, like, for multiple seasons in this league in Was not this player and she improved from what we had seen of her. And and that sample size was really, really big. So I think she deserves to win this award.
0: It's improving from a known quantity versus improving from a mystery. Sure. Yeah.
1: Um, And you wanted to maybe lay out like a most improved team?
0: Yeah. Here's the reasoning for this I hate this award. I think it's really stupid. Usually, it's just,
1: yeah. Do you hate this award more or less than Executive of the Year?
0: Hmm. I feel like I wouldn't hate executive of the year as much as if, if there just like, wasn't a total pea soup surrounding it. You know, you have no idea who's doing what in what organization you have. People who are on different levels relative to, you know, other people in different organizations. You have some people who are head coaches and GMs, some people who are just GMs it's, Maybe, maybe like, the the principle of that award I think is dumb. This award could be better if, like, there is a stricter guidelines for voting, if that makes sense. But, like, usually this award just goes to the player with the highest increase in usage or minutes. That wasn't really the case this year. I mean, Lainey did have a higher usage in minutes than she did usually, but she made the statistical jump as well. Also, improvement, I feel like, can be mixed up or mistaken or just willfully swapped with a player having a hot season. For example, Elani Mitchell last year, not saying she didn't deserve that, but if you're like 34 years old and you're basically just known as an outside shooter and all of a sudden you have like a huge increase in effective field goal percentage, well, did you really improve or were you just making more shots?
1: And winning this award for the second time.
0: Winning award for, yeah. So she, she improved once when she was what, like 23, and then she improved again when she was 34. So I digress. Um, and then it's like there's a slippery slope of can you give it to a second year player? Well, second year players aren't supposed to, they're supposed to improve. Well, aren't third-year players supposed to improve from their second year? At what point does a player, like, stop improving to where that's not an issue? Anyway, uh, Laney was great.
1: She was really, really good. She was great. Um, so the other players that I would have on uh, this would be Bree Jones, who I thought was much better than I would have ever imagined her being in the WNBA, mm-hmm. particularly offensively, um, but definitely showed some things I didn't expect defensively as well. Maisha Hines Allen of course the the runner up to this award. Uh, Rachel Bannum I thought was, you know, finally kind of did the things we thought Rachel Bannum was was supposed to be good at and that this might be kind of what you were saying with Leilani Mitchell last year just yeah. a situation where over a, a truncated season she shot the ball pretty hot.
0: But um, she got more opportunity though.
1: She got more opportunity and and she made but she got plenty of opportunity last year with Connecticut too and did not shoot the ball well.
0: Yeah, it, it's like it's like well maybe there's a reason why she didn't play much in Connecticut, you know. Yeah,
1: right. Um, and fifth place, you know, this is typically the award as, as you had kind of touched on before. Like I would try to stay away from second year players here, but Jackie Young definitely deserves some recognition just from where she was last year and, and how she performed in the second year.
0: Okay. So I had Laney, Bree Jones, Maisha Hines-Allen, Marina Mabry, and Kalia Copper. Uh, I'm aware that Kalia Copper had a pretty good situation. She got the old minutes and usage bump. But I think she was a significantly better player, particularly with her outside shooting and just her overall aggressiveness. You know, I don't think she made as many mistakes as she did in previous seasons. And then Marina Mabry was, like, legitimately pretty good uh, when she got inserted into Dallas' starting lineup. Maybe the minutes weren't there for such an award, but, like, we're basically making this thing up as we go. So I think she deserves a mention.
1: You know, I'm taking Jackie Young off of mine and putting Kalea <laughs> Copper. I, I kind of forgot about her. So, okay. my apologies to Kalea Copper, who will never listen to this, but coach of the year. I did not fill out a full ballot for this because I thought there were two candidates.
0: I thought there was one. Can- well, I thought there was like one and a half candidates.
1: And uh, who, who won this award, Eric?
0: Cheryl Reeve won it. Another interesting voting distribution here. Reeve got 25 votes. Bill Lambier got 17 votes. I think those are the clear cut top two. Derek Fisher got two votes. Mike Tebow got two votes. Sandy Brundella got one vote. And uh, that's, that's your field. Interesting.
1: Uh, I had Cheryl Reeve winning this award and I had Bill Lambeer second. I think this is probably a little bit closer than you do.
0: Okay, uh, go ahead.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't really have a ton to say about it. You know, Cheryl Reeve took, in my opinion, a less talented team than the, the Aces are to the four seed. And Lambeer took a team that a lot of us had some pretty serious questions about to, to, to the one seed and to the WNBA Finals. Uh, a lot of that was, you know, of course, getting contributions from from players that we didn't expect. You know, D-Rob had uh, a really, really great season. Angel McCautry, of course, like had one of the best seasons of her career. But I mean, Lambeer's philosophies offensively and defensively, as much as they may be maligned, like they were very, very (laughs) effective. Like they were, you know, we'll see how it continues to work out in in the playoffs when there's a little bit more time for preparation. And uh, scouting as Candace Parker uh, pointed out a couple weeks ago but it drove great effectiveness in the regular season and uh, but Cheryl Reeve you know just with being able to kind of bring that roster to a top four seed while Sylvia Fowles played seven games and pretty much completely like downshifting her philosophy from playing Collier and Dantis at the three and the four to those two players at the four and the five for for the majority of their minutes and inserting Bridget Carlton, Carlton. pretty much into the starting lineup as a three and D player they were great and i We, you and I, I think both thought like, how is this team going to score coming into the season? And they were a better offense than they were a defense.
0: You know, it's the main factor in why I think Reeve kind of should have run away with this award. I mean, she kind of did, but was that, was that offensive system? Uh, The Lynx have never been known as like in the Cheryl Reeve era as a three-point bombing team. Cheryl Reeve just completely turned this team around after Sylvia Fowles got hurt Um You know, I mean, that's and that's really tough to do. It's really tough to change things schematically from a slower, you know, post oriented team, you know, that likes to, you know, dominate the paint in the rim area to a team that relies heavily on the three point shot and, you know, pick and roll and stuff like that. It's really hard to make that adjustment in the middle of a season. It's even harder to make that adjustment in the middle of a bubble season when you have no practice time and no scouting time. She's a wizard. You know, it's it's pretty crazy to think about what this team did and uh, what they're going to be like next year.
1: Yeah, best coach in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I could see it. I could see it. Do you want to do the all-league teams? Yeah, so for the
0: 2020 uh, all WNBA First team, I'm not going to give the total votes. I'll, I'll just say, you know, if someone was unanimous or not. There were two players who were unanimous for the All-WMA First team, Asia Wilson and Candace Parker. Brianna Stewart got 46 out of 47 votes. Huh. Shout out to whoever put her on the second team. Courtney VanderSloot got 43 first-team votes. Arike Gunbowale got 29. So those, that's your first team there. Then your second team, Dinah Taurasi, Dewana Bonner, Nafisa Collier, Sky Diggins-Smith, and Maisha Hines-Allen. And before we uh, tear this up, this was voted on by two guards, two forwards, and one center, which I think is really
1: stupid. So who did you have on your first-team All-WNBA? All right. So my first team, all WNBA, uh, Courtney
0: VanderSloot, not even a homer vote, really. It's just, she was the best point guard in the league. Dinah Taurasi, Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Candace Parker.
1: Yep. Nafisa Collier, in both of our opinions, was the fourth best player in the league. And on both of our second team, all WNBA, I also <laughs> had that same five. Interesting that we both went with Taurasi over Ale. So I had, as you mentioned, VanderSloot, Taurasi, Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Candace Parker. Why did you have you over Gumboli? I'm pretty sure our logic is going to be similar, but
0: I mean she ahead. was
1: she was an offensive force. Like she was incredible. I do think she was maybe one of the four or five worst defensive players in basketball, but <laughs> she has like a, a gravity to her that so few players in the WNBA have just in terms of you know that fear of pulling up from you know four or like five six, feet seven yeah. feet behind the arc, and that really does open a lot of things up for for other players. And she she was deserving of this award. Even with a, or this nomination or, or whatever, even without playing any defense whatsoever, and once, you know, their kind of team philosophy changed, and, and Brittany Griner left the bubble, like she was one of the best players in the league. Again, it took her a little while to get going, but she she got there and she, she went on that over. insane run. Yeah,
0: she took over, and like that was honestly one of the most incredible offensive stretches I've seen from any player. Um, you know, like Ogbonnwoale obviously led the league in scoring, and she had her own amazing run as well. But, I mean, Diana Tarazi, like, willed this team back from the dead. And she did it at, what, 38 years old? That, 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 shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. But, I mean, it was really incredible. As you said, she was a threat to pull up from anywhere. Um, remember before the season, we were like, who's the best shooter in the league? Is it Quigley? Is it, is it McBride? You know, who is it? Diana Tarazi's like, no, I'm still the best shooter in the league. Uh, she was single-handedly, like, keeping this offense pretty good.
1: This was the best true shooting percent. I'm sorry, the second best true shooting percentage of her career behind her age 36 season. So (laughs) her way increased three point attempt rate and her foul seeking behavior. You know, it's not like she never gets inside the line. It's just that those attempts are now free throw attempts instead of field goal attempts. You know what I'm saying? So, um, quick,
0: quick follow up question on this. Uh, If you swapped Ariki Agumbawale's individual performance with Tarazi's and like flipped their teams, would Tarazi still be first team?
1: Like if, if they didn't if Phoenix didn't have the team success and yeah. they were more kind of I think probably still because, you know, Agumbawali is regardless, like a very, very serious candidate. Like she she deserves serious consideration for this last spot. The, the win loss record to me didn't really weigh that much into it.
0: Okay. I think maybe I, I factored it into a little bit more. Um if the wings ended up making the playoffs, like it still would have been Jirazi on the first team for me because I just think she was better than People are giving her credit for. Uh but it's it's hard it's just hard for me to, to make the case for a player who missed the playoffs to be on the first team when there are so many other good options.
1: Sure. That's fair. But she was uh, on the second team. I'm sure you had her on the second team as well. I did. I also had Alicia Clark, Nafisa Collier. Not sure how these last two will, will go, but Angel McCarty and Alyssa Thomas.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Um mine was the same except I had uh Jewel Lloyd over Angel McCarthy. But I like I I like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only real reason to, to not have her on there, and I think it's a totally fair one, is you know, 20 minutes per game just is not really all league-type minutes. Mm-hmm. Anyone else you kind of seriously considered for these teams?
0: I had a few. Angel McCarthy was in my also considered, but the minutes were just not great. Derek Hamby I considered, and Duana Bonner I considered. I just sure. thought Alyssa Thomas was, was the better Sun player, and you, you can't put two Sun players on this team.
1: Yeah, totally fair. I also considered all those players that you mentioned, as well as uh, Kelsey Mitchell, Crystal Dangerfield, and Benajelaini. Skylar Diggins-Smith, did you consider? Skylar Diggins-Smith, I, I did consider. Sorry. You know, she's probably not as serious. You know, her, her offensive resume this season, much like Tarazzi's, was pretty outstanding, but they were not very good when she played. If, and they were. If Tarazzi
0: was a bottom five defensive player, what was Diggins? A uh, bottom eight defensive player? <laughs> I mean... I did not consider it because, like, the net differential was just atrocious. And I, that, this can be pretty weird and kind of noisy because she obviously played far more minutes than she, you know, didn't play. Um, but the next lowest net differential, like, she had a net, dif- net differential of negative 23 points per other possessions. First starter, that's atrocious. The next lowest on the rookie was Vaughn at negative six. So, like, that's a huge outlier. Um, and most of that came on defense. Like, typically, I don't think you consider – Defense when you're talking about this award, but I mean, you also have the assist to turnover ratio, which was pretty poor for like a star league guard. And I don't know, like, if 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 her net differential was that bad, shouldn't Tarazis have also been pretty bad, you know, if if Diggins was like if they're like on the same level, you know?
1: Yeah, sure. The one thing I would maybe point to is Diggins Smith at times was playing with some pretty rough lineups out there.
0: Um, but, yeah, she she kind of had, had to wear the had to wear the, but
1: you know, nobody else really reflects that poor on off writing. Um okay, let us move on to all defense.
0: Okay, so this was in conjunction with the defensive player of the year, probably the most talked about of the awards. 2020 WBA all defense defensive team. First team Alicia Clark, Benejah Laney, Brianna Turner, Alyssa Thomas, and Elizabeth Williams. Second team was Brianna Stewart, Nafisa Collier, Ariel Atkins, Brittany Sykes, and Asia Wilson. Steven, I think the second team is actually a better team than the first team.
1: Sure. And one thing I know you wanted to mention about this is, you know, this award is uh, voted on by the coaches and the defensive player of the year award is voted on by the media. So the the incongruencies you may see there, uh, it's because there are two different voting pools. Which makes absolutely
0: no sense. And of course, for those, for those listening, if, if for from some reason you're wondering why I keep saying there was controversy, Candace Parker won Defensive Player of the Year. She did not make either defensive team.
1: Did you he- have her on either defensive team?
0: I did. I had her on first team.
1: I had her on first team too. Uh, my first team was Ariel Atkins, Alicia Clark, Asia Wilson, Candace Parker, and Alyssa Thomas. You
0: know what's also stupid is I don't think this award should, be, should have positions either. Kind of why we talked about earlier, you know, like the best defensive players are rarely wings or guards, unless your name is Elena Beard. But anyway, my first, uh, my first team all defense was Jasmine Thomas, Alicia Clark, Candace Parker, Asia Wilson, and Alyssa Thomas.
1: A perfectly uh, good nominations there. Thank you. My second team, Jasmine Thomas, Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, Nafisa Collier, and Natasha Howard. And yes, for anyone keeping track, that is four Storm players I have on the two all defensive teams. But they deserve it, in my opinion.
0: They do. I also had four storm players. Uh, my second team, my second team, I had Lloyd Stewart, Collier, Howard, which we agree on, and Angel McCutcheon.
1: Awesome. Um, um, Angel McCutcheon, interesting pick.
0: Well, I mean, the Aces were a good, a good enough defense to where I wanted to get somebody else on there, and I think I thought Angel was really good, particularly. Yeah,
1: Sorry, I was just gonna say her her defensive playmaking really brought a lot to kind of them being able to play at such a fast pace as it they did. Play
0: it play. did. Yeah, she really fit in well there. Um, but as far as you know, you said you have the storm you have four storm on there, and I did too. Why not?
1: Yeah, I mean their their ninety-three point three defensive rating, that was the best defensive rating in the WNBA since the twenty fifteen Liberty. And they did this in like a more offensive friendly environment, right? Offense normalized from last year, which was pretty poor there were 10 teams in the league this year over 100 offensive rating there were three last year like and their 3.9 point per possession lead over the second best defense in the league which was las vegas was the highest difference between one and two since the 2005 monarchs which had a 4.3 uh differential between second place Mm -hmm. so they were like just dominant in a way that we hadn't really seen in a while compared to their peers
0: yeah i mean seattle did have the advantage of you know, being at full strength, and many other teams didn't, but that's the way it goes. One thing I wanted to bring up here: How did the Atlanta Dream have two first-teamers on on all defense?
1: And they finished what was it, tenth? It was in tenth defense? in defense. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah i I mean I think that Nigelan and Elizabeth Williams are quality defensive players. I, I don't think either one of them really played their best defense of their careers this season. Do you think that's yeah, fair to say?
0: That's, that's fair. And also I don't think Brittany Sykes should have made second team, but, uh,
1: I don't think so either.
0: <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. We're allowed to disagree.
1: Cool. So I think we just have one more here and that is the all rookie team. And I actually don't want to spend kind of too much time on this award because we are going to take a, a deeper look into a lot of these players that, that we'll be mentioning, uh, in a few weeks here, but who was your five?
0: Okay, well, first of all, the league's five was uh, Kennedy Carter, Crystal Dangerfield, Saitu Sabley, Julie Almond, and Jasmine Jones. Uh, all f- oh, four of those players received 11 votes. Jones received six. Um, I think that's, that's about right. I had Taya Cooper instead of Jasmine Jones, but uh, I don't know, what about you?
1: Who, who was sixth in terms of voting?
0: Uh, they did not say. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Maximum transparency as always.
1: I also had Taya Cooper. Did you consider anyone else for, I mean, besides Jasmine Jones, the the winner, obviously, did you consider like Azzy Magbagor or or anyone else for this spot?
0: No, I don't think Magbagor played enough minutes. Did you?
1: No, I I agree with you. I mean, I I looked at kind of where she was in in comparison to everybody else, but I think the minutes were just a little bit too low. And I think all these other players were impactful. considerably more involved in everything when they were out there. So, you know, I think Jones, a perfectly fine choice. I think Cooper was a little bit more impactful just in terms of playing, winning basketball. Uh, She was pretty dreadful on offense, and and I hope that improves as time goes on. But, you know, she was playing serious minutes in crunch time for, like, a a real team and and played really, really good defense um, at the point of attack.
0: It's like, I understand why Jones made it, but at the same time, she was basically given free reign to do – I mean, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but she played a lot of minutes on a very, very bad team. She had some good some good moments, some exciting moments. She's a very dynamic player. I think a lot of people, myself included, enjoy watching Jasmine Jones play. She was sixth in the WNB in steal percentage, and she got to the free throw line a lot. So it's not like she was a train wreck. But, I mean, her assist turnover ratio was 0.73. And her usage was over 25%. So that's a player who is taking horrendous care of the basketball with a significant offensive burden. I can't endorse that, you know? And like you said, Cooper, she just contributed more to winning basketball. She was more efficient. I feel like she was better at her role than Jones was at hers. And uh, yeah.
1: Those are some really great points. I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you. I tried. (laughs) Cool. Anything else just in terms of the awards?
0: I think we covered all of it. Not Nothing from my end. How about you?
1: No, uh, we're not going to do executive of the year. Maybe <laughs> we will in, in future seasons if we keep doing this, but I think we both agreed that this was kind of just too weird. weird. Like so many moves that were made in the offseason, like just didn't even come to fruition with, with players sitting out for their own safety, uh, which we of course fully endorse. Mm. But yeah, we just decided to skip it.
0: I want to keep skipping it, but if you want, if you want to do it, okay. <laughs> we can keep doing it. Okay, but anyway, thank you, as always, everyone, so much for listening. Um, we would love to hear your feedback on this. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get some feedback on this episode. Um, at DoubleDownWNBA on Twitter or personal accounts at Nemchuk E or at Trinkwald. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play, and we are on Spotify, so whatever floats your boat. Hit us up. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, leave a rating. Leave a review. We would greatly appreciate it, and uh, yeah, please stay safe and stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you next time.